0: You are listening to Front Office Features with Rob Crane, presented by San Diego State Sports MBA Program. Each week on Front Office Features, we have a discussion with a sports executive in an effort to take you behind the curtain to learn more about the inner workings of the business and provide insights to help start and grow your sports business career. This week, our guest is Pat O'Connor. He's the president and CEO of Minor League Baseball. Chris and I thought it was imperative to play the Pat interview, uh, as recently there's been many national articles about the current negotiations about the professional baseball agreement, which is the contract that binds Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball together. And this ag- agreement expires at the end of the 2021 uh, 2020 season. Uh, I'm not here to share my thoughts on the PBA negotiations or any of this. I just thought it was timely to have this interview uh, because of the news that has come out this week. One of the big issues uh, that you'll read in those articles is about facility standards of minor league ballparks. He specifically discusses this uh, in our interview. It's an in-depth discussion about the business of minor league baseball, including pace of play, all the new things that we're trying, like guys on second base and extra innings, and um, we talk about the new ways to get ballparks built, and he even goes talks about all these O'Connorisms uh, at the end of the interview. Uh, he should write a book with these things. Uh, but this one, we've had some good ones. This one's really good, I think, and uh, takes you really uh, behind the curtain about the business of minor league baseball. Uh, and I just found it incredibly enjoyable, and hope too hope you do as well. But before we get to Pat... Uh, Let's go to San Diego and their San Diego State Sports MBA program. I didn't know this, but did you know that there was a uh, study abroad opportunity included in the program to go to the Dominican Republic in partnership with Major League Baseball office to study the impact of baseball's popularity in the country? How cool is that? They also do a community service project where they work in the country where these baseball prospects are signed and scouted and this whole thing. Very uh, in-depth trip to the Dominican. And they also visit uh, the team academies where they speak to the prospects and they talk to the uh, uh, young men about the importance of education. And they also visit a Major League Baseball sponsor who's a bank. And uh, I learn about how they leverage the partnership to promote financial literacy. This is like I I learn more and more about the San Diego State Sports MBA program every day. It's like the greatest thing on earth. So, to learn more, uh go to sdsu.edu/smba. There's still time to start your application. Uh the deadline to start it is not till November 1st, but uh, November 1st is coming, so you better hurry up and apply. Uh again, that website sdsu dot edu backslash smba all right let's get to the president and ceo of minor league baseball pat o'connor hello and welcome to front office features i am rob crane today my guest is pat o'connor pat is the president and ceo of minor league baseball, and we are here in Memphis, Tennessee for the national championship games and AAA meetings. Uh, Pat, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks, Rob, good to be with you. It is good to have you. So, Pat, you started as an intern back in the, I won't say when, but you started back in the mm-hmm. 80s, and uh, you ran clubs, been part of clubs for more than a decade. Your current seat as president and CEO how do you take those experiences of running clubs and implementing it now in your role as CEO? Well, I, I
1: think it's it's valuable experience, it's valuable information. I, I think if you're gonna lead from the top, your information just absolutely has to come from the bottom. I think we've all been in situations where, you know, uh, a superior or a boss has given us a memo and it reads nice and it sounds pretty and you look at it and say, that's just not gonna work. Yeah, right. And here's why it's not gonna work. And I think my experience about twelve and a half years at a club uh... really played into my ability to look at things from a, a industry-wide global perspective uh... with you know with the proper perspective it, it give me a chance to you know uh, see things from an operators perspective and and i think that's important if you're going to legislate you're going to try to lead uh, you have to equip the people you're asking to follow you know with good information with good resources with with good plans and I think nothing's better than having been in the trenches to, to have that evolve as part of your uh, part of your process.
0: I totally agree. and having the experience of like you know we got to know what it's like pulling tarp. We got to yeah. know that everyone sells in a minor league team. and yeah. I would assume that helps you when you're talking with your staff of like, hey, this is what these guys are going through each you day.
1: Know, yeah, you know it's, it's really important and we, we try to engage our staff. and as we've gotten a little more uh, fallen into the expertise in certain silos, club experience is not as prevalent as it once was but i think it's it's critically important for us you know to, to relate to those that we serve and we very much look like look at it from the perspective in, in St. Petersburg we work for the clubs yeah we have governance responsibilities we have certain things that we have authority over but you know we're only going to go as far as they take us you know I tell people all the time they say oh your attendance is up and your gross revenue I haven't sold a season ticket in <laughs> 28 years I bet you could yeah. though yeah. well I, I would like to think I could but the point of that is is that you know you build programs and you build platforms based on solid information from those that have to execute we do it at this we do it at the company level right you know I, I mean i'm very i i try to push down as much ownership of of major league baseball minor league baseball central to the employees that i can yeah. i have five or six people that i work with regularly i make them accountable and responsible and make sure that they're making their people and and you know we have a goal in in our organization that every day everybody that comes in if you take up a box on the on the organizational chart when you walk in you know exactly what your expectation is, and you know how your little piece of that pie fits together and ladders up to make us successful and how important it is for you to do the best job you can do that day so we can be successful.
0: It's, it's, it's great advice. And so you were brought from the club side by uh, our pa- past president, Michael Moore, yeah. um, to the central office. Michael had to have an incredible impact on your life. Talk a little uh, bit about Michael. No and-
1: question. Mike Moore and I, uh, we first met when I was an intern in 19, I'll say the year, yeah, right. 1981. Mike was running the Tampa Club Yeah, and in the Florida State League, and I was an intern in Vero Beach, Florida, um, and I, I got to know Mike. And then I went away. I, I worked in the Texas League, the League, in the Texas League, and then I came back in 1986. Mike was still in the league. And uh, got to know each other, got to work with him on a couple of things, finance committee, uh, schedule committee, uh, and just were friendly. Uh, We weren't great friends, but we were friendly and we were peers. Uh, When Mike got elected president, he called me in in, uh, the spring of 92, and he says, Hey, I want to talk to you about coming over and being my chief operating officer. And and I was uh, doing some things with uh, uh, the Astros at the time, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't working right. It wasn't the right time for me to leave, and I passed on the opportunity. So the next spring, spring of '93, early spring, Mike calls and, hey, I want to talk to you about coming over and being my chief operating <laughs> officer. And I said, Mike, what what have you been doing for the last year? He says, I've been waiting on you to change your mind. <laughs> and and he tells the story that you know sitting in the Florida State League meetings, you know he'd hear this guy talking and he looked down the row and it was me and he said you just had that that sense about you know a, a maturity beyond your years so I went over in the spring of 93 is, is May of 93 is Mike's uh, uh, COO I later added a vice oh. president's title um, Mike and I were yin and yang we, yeah. you know we, we really had a compliment we had a deal Mike I'm not going to be here one more day than you need me or want me because yeah. I'm not going to stay one more day than I want to be here and, and that was our deal um, Mike Moore was probably the greatest thinker I was ever thinker. around. Thinker. What do you mean? The, the ability to look at something and think it through. Yeah. Logic. He had tremendous logic. He had a tremendous sixth sense. He had political savvy. Um, you know, first thing he did when I got there is he handed me this little red book, and it was the Machiavellian principles.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> Tell it's, us about the Machiavellian principles. Well, why did it, he hand? It, why, it, I guess why did he give you the Machiavellian it, principles?
1: It, it was when you deal with multiple constituencies the divide and conquer the winning over you know if you read machiavelli yeah. it's 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 more of a a war and political strategy than anything and he was just imparting upon me that you know this is a thinking man's game you have to think and project and think ahead he, he told me when when he decided to retire and uh i, I decided i was going to run for president he said 99 percent of your job is going to happen from the shoulders up no kidding. You, you know, you, you're going to be paid to think and to do, and you know, when, when we worked, the deal was, Mike, I'll take care of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the tomorrows. Yeah. You take care of one, three, and five years, because you, know, you stay out. We work off a of principle in my office, and it's off of the one, three, five-year plan. We try to create deja vu moments, deja yeah. vu moments, deja so vu when moments. we get there physically, right. we've already right. been there mentally. We've thought it through. We've prepared. Nothing. You know, we don't have to go to crisis mode,
0: right? So you're never acting on like, oh my goodness, you're what's never, going on? Exactly, You've you know, been there before. Close your mouth and breathe. Let's
1: exhale. <laughs> let's relax. Let's analyze where we're at. You got to figure out where you're at to figure out where you want to go. And these are all lessons and things. And and the one thing that Mark Mike let me do, uh, Mike let me have my successes and have my failures. Yeah. And very fortunately, the the successes uh, were were solid. And the failures were, you know, few and far between, and not of a, a major uh, impact. But um, it, he was a great boss, great guy to work with. Um, you know, for the last six or seven years, basically, you know, let me run the company. One of the things that that Mike and I uh, we had was don't be afraid to come in and tell me what we did. You don't have to come in and ask,
0: can we do Got this? It you don't have to ask for permission yeah you know
1: he trusted me as i trust my people you know if you if you made a bad decision or you made a questionable decision he wouldn't question the decision he would question the process that led you to that decision right you know because decisions come and go life is full of a series of small decisions but let's let's talk about your thought process and a lot of times you know staff will come to me and i would go to mike and okay i understand how did you get there if he was questioning the outcome, he wouldn't go straight to the outcome, okay? All right, what led you to that decision? And we would work backwards and inevitably uncover an assumption or a a piece of information that maybe I didn't consider properly. Gotcha. And and, and factored into the decision that may have led us astray. Uh, It was was a great process. And and, uh, you know, when I first got there, we traveled a lot together, which was a lot of fun. And um, you know, uh, Mike is. uh, There's no question. There are two or three people uh, in my life that that have helped me get along and get to where I'm going. And Mike is certainly at the top of that list.
0: Absolutely. And I also think too that in a good collaborative work environment, a yin and a yang. Is needed, right? You just can't have the same mindset. If not, you create groupthink and you miss way more things than you uh, than you can yeah, see. I, I worked for a short period of time for a guy named Dick Wagner, and Dick
1: was part of the Big Red Machine, in Cincinnati. Yeah, went on to work in, in several other Houston. I worked for him when I was with the Astros, and and he often, you know, cautioned me, you don't want to surround you with yourself with people that are just like you. You get tunnel vision.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: And, and you know, and people don't realize Mike and I got mm-hmm. along great, but we had, you know, we'd go. A week and not talk to each other. We'd get, <laughs> we'd get angry with each other and, you know, out a heck with him. And, and then, you know, we'd call and we'd forget it. We'd move on and all of that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's important. You know, uh, uh, we when I was dealing with umpires, we used to evaluate umpires. And we used to talk about the Russian judge. You always got that one guy who didn't <laughs> like an umpire, you know. And, yeah. and, you know, so Mike and I had that ability to – you know, and one of the things that has helped me throughout my career is the ability to compartmentalize things. Right. You know, and deal with the issue, I think that's and then a great deal point. deal with the next issue, without the hangover of the last issue, whether you're dealing with the same person or the same issue. You know, and it's it's it's, and and even if you're dealing with the same person on a different issue, that one was that one. Yeah. Hey, let's come at this one with a clean slate, and I want to hear what you got to say, and you know, I don't want. One situation that I either agreed with or didn't agree with
0: influence the next. Exactly You just got to look at each situation different and they all uh, they all are unique uh, in their own way So you got to look at them unique. Yeah,
1: and and I I really think it helps when you when you juggle a lot of chainsaws for a living It helps with your sanity. It helps you stay organized. It helps you, you know, use your assets and your your skill set uh, in a positive way in each one and not have this, you know, integrated mess going on in your head because it's been a bad day.
0: Right. So one of the things that you and uh, Mike probably discussed at length many times um, are the PBAs, the mm-hmm. professional baseball agreement. So mm-hmm. one of the things I think we should probably educate our listeners a little bit about what is the PBA, yeah. how it affects minor league baseball, how it affects major league baseball, and your kind of role into it.
1: Sure. I, when I went to the NA in 93, we were really kick uh, the negotiations for what should have been a PBA renewal in 94 mm-hmm. uh, and Mike you know included me he went to all the meetings but really kind of handed that off to me uh, and was along and we would you know we would go over our, our sessions ahead of time we would debrief afterwards uh, then we had the strike in 94 and you know to his credit Commissioner Seelig said look just we'll continue under the old agreement don't worry about that now we're not gonna stop playing baseball during the strike or any of this stuff and so we really deferred the renewal and it didn't happen until 97. Well, when we came back to work in 96, 97, you know, Mike pretty much let me handle it. And the professional baseball agreement is, for lack of a better term, it's the contract that binds major league and minor league baseball together. I think a lot of people are, are under the misnomer that we're one organization. Right, right, we're right. We're two separate organizations um, and we sign a contract that outlines the agreement. And within that contract, we agree to multitude of things submit to the authority of the commissioner, agree to obey the, the official playing rules, the major league rules, uh, incorporate different aspects to it. The player development contract, which is a separate contract under the umbrella of the PBA that aligns a certain major league club with a minor league club. Uh, that's all contained in this enormous document. So uh, that agreement, like any contract, has a term. Yeah. Um, and just so happens our current agreement expires at the end of next year. So we're in conversations with Major League Baseball about a successor agreement. Uh, I did the one in, in, in 97. I did another one in 2004. Uh, and we extended that agreement in about 14 when it had some time left. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're running out of the what will ended up being a 10-year agreement. Uh, so we'll, we'll negotiate a successor agreement with MLB and it includes everything from facility standards to travel standards to how many games you can play uh... to what your facilities have to look like uh... it's just everything that would uh... involve the relationship uh... is standardized it's the same for everybody and it's all included in that agreement
0: So, not to get into the negotiations Mm -hmm. i know you and the committee are working hard uh... as they enter in as you guys enter into negotiations for after Mm -hmm. next year but talk a little bit about you know, what's different that uh, the big leagues are looking for than the minor leagues are looking for in a newer agreement than they say were five years ago, ten years ago? Well, let's
1: just look at facilities. Right. We,
0: we adopted what
1: at the time were deemed to be draconian facility standards in the uh, early 90s. Uh, we have intentionally not altered those too much. Yeah. Um, but you look at the game in the last ten years, uh, rosters are bigger, coaching staffs are bigger. You now have a videographer. Are, there's you, a hundred of them. You have a videographer. You have a nutritionist. Uh, at some AAA levels, you have two strength and conditioning coaches and a masseuse. You know, the, the, the whole story is, is you have a multitude of people who are now part of the traveling party yeah. who may not have otherwise been. We have to accommodate them with space. Right. You know, uh, We now have to look at the unique situation, and I think it's a very big positive. There are females involved at the field level with training and nutrition. So we have to have female staff quarters. Yes. You know, that we may not have. Health and player wellness, you know, uh, most organizations now have a nutritional plan uh, that requires the, the teams to be fed. It's incredibly detailed. Yeah, and so they need space. And we're not cooking at the ballpark, but we have to have a commissary to serve it and a place for them to eat it. You don't want players eating in the middle of the clubhouse. There has to be a commissary. You don't have to have table and chairs for 25 at a time. Right. But you have to have a dedicated space. Weight training is now more important the the health and welfare of the players you need a bigger training room with more you know opportunity for more different pieces of equipment and facilities that are are necessary to take care of these world-class athletes so all of that goes into just one portion which is the facility standards um... travel uh, the the goal is to always get a player on the field as much as possible you want them on the field not on the bus you want them on the field not in an airport so scheduling division layout uh, the the way that clubs interact with each other so that you're not maximizing travel time you're maximizing player time and rest time right Um, I think now uh, more than uh, at any time since I've been involved in 81 uh, player health and wellness is probably at the forefront Uh, rest um, you know not taxing these guys as much uh, and understanding that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and you don't want to burn them up. Um, at various levels, AAA and AA, major leagues are looking for uh, end-of-the-season help, and they want players that are fresher and not worn out. So those are all things that we have to look at. Um, and it, there's
0: and this cost associated with those, sure, too. It's absolutely. just not something that just happens. Yeah. You know, we uh, we deal in the Pawtucket, I've been in AAA baseball for 12 years or something like that now, and uh, the cost of those things are just keep growing and growing and growing and and, growing
1: and so when those costs keep growing you know someone is paying those whether it's major league or minor league baseball so the number of games that we play at home or the number of games we play uh, is important to us because we have to generate the revenue to pay for the rest of it. so you know there's an inherent conflict of you know more rest fewer games and us needing more games to pay more bills so you work through those kind of things. And and the game is, you know, it's it, – I had a guy tell me one time, Rob, that making a change in baseball is like turning around a battleship in a bathtub. <laughs> it's slow, you know. Yeah. and And so – but we have to, and, and I can say this, that the early conversations with Major League Baseball not only have been cordial and, and professional, yeah, uh, they've been very open Good. and very honest about what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, we're not there yet. In fact, we're probably a long way away, not because of problems, but just because we're early in the process. Yeah,
0: early early in the process. But the thing that, I you know, we've seen some of the... Uh, Changes already in triple A baseball, remember not was it not four years ago we had one hundred and forty four games and yeah. we went to one forty two and now back yeah. to uh, yeah. to one forty I can't tell you how many countless meetings I've had about what kind of fruit and guacamole and yeah, sure. uh, lean proteins that we're going to have uh, in the clubhouse We have to have some honest conversations with them because you know fish and salmon and that stuff's expensive and uh, it's just a different thing than throwing out hot dogs and pizza that we used to do. You know you think in 1990
1: when we got into this PBA and some of the more uh, sophisticated elements of it at the time you were serving 23 people. Right. And you're probably serving 26 now you probably had a manager pitching coach and a, a hitting coach and one trainer four people it's probably six or eight now. Uh, on top of the Rovers who come in. And, and, you know, in the Pawtucket situation, being just down the road from Boston, you know, they they can hit both of them and, you know, hit a day game in in Fenway and come down and see you that night. Yeah, you're 100% right. And they do it. So, uh, But you know what? It's just part of the evolution of the game. I I am a firm believer that the players are bigger, faster, stronger than they've ever been. Of course. I think we're, we're teaching at an elite level. Um, you know, I question sometimes the way the game's being played today, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's a different subject. But the, the, the one thing, and it's an old adage, the, thing, the only thing that's not going to change is there's going to be change. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, you can stick your head in the sand and ignore it and fight it, or you can look at it proactively and find the best solution for all involved, which is, one, going to be economically sound and two, it's going to be logistically as expedient as possible.
0: So there's two points that uh, you talked about there that I want to hit on in a little bit more depth, is over your career you've seen the stadium boom, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. late 90s, sure. to early 2000s was yeah. crazy. Uh, I've been lucky enough, though, going through my third one of these. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed, and is it gets harder and harder and harder to secure uh, public public dollars yeah. for uh, for a minor league ballpark. Where do you see the stadium, uh, the ballpark uh, evolution going in the future? How do you think teams will be able to uh, stay modern uh, when it's a time that it's harder to have a publicly owned facility uh, with a uh, you know a privately held business running it?
1: Well, I think a couple of things. You know, and, and in this uh, anything from far left to tea party far right, you know, we have some municipalities that are literally passing ordinances that you can't spend money in certain ways. Right. I'm not telling you exactly how you have to spend it, but you can't spend it in certain ways. I, I think the future will not include 100% privately financed yeah. stadiums and not include 100% publicly financed stadiums. I think that the extremes are going to be the rare, rare exception. Uh, when you look at privately financed stadiums, the construction and the maintenance, they don't work. The, the they're, finances they're just don't work. They're financially... Uh, almost unmanageable uh, the state of the country and and the ability of a community to put up a hundred percent to build a building that is now going to approach seventy five to a hundred million dollars depending on where it's at and how big it needs to be uh, it, it's just not there so i i think the hybrid is is public private yeah and i think that it, it even goes beyond public private with private being only the ball club i think you bring in a third party where you have investors and 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 uh, uh, developers, and you you do a trifecta of the community, uh, the you know the, the municipality, an investor, developer, and the ball club, where there are all three of them have something to gain, and they dis- you know they proportionally or even disproportionately depending on what the return is, invest in this project, and you create tiffs and you create you know residual income that that allows the stadium to pay for itself after being started by these
0: these three parties. I think that's one of the smart things that's going on in Worcester yeah. is they've got a, a big development piece of right. that uh, that's really a part of the ballpark right. building project. I also was out in Wichita, Kansas, and they also have a big development piece of this. It's more than just a ballpark. You know, we're going to bring hundreds of thousands of yeah. people uh, into an area. Let's work with the developer, as you said, to make it even a bigger. Well, uh, and,
1: and you know, the reality of it is, is the infrastructure cost to use it 70 nights for your ball club, or 345 nights for the community, are the same. Right. You know, you still have to have the roadways. You still have to have the parking. You know, you still have to have all of the infrastructure needs. Um, It is a focal point. It is a source of pride for the community. It is a communal spot. It's a place that's going to draw people. Why just limit it to 70 nights a year or events around the ballpark and the ball club? Let's, you know, let's improve the entire area. And there are countless. Kannapolis, North Carolina has done it. Uh, What Jen Goodman's done in Durham. You know, oh, it's unbelievable. American Tobacco. And then they stack on the, the three diamond views. There's now an Aloft Hotel, uh, the Performing Arts Center. I mean, it is now a, a you know, a, it's a destination. A it's a destination. Tulsa has done it with, you know, and the neat thing about it is depending on where you go, uh, you can serve. It can serve as a capstone, Columbus, Ohio, to round out the arena district or it can be the catalyst which i think you're experiencing in worcester where you're taking an area that is either abandoned or run down or underutilized yeah and you're coming in with this kind of development this kind of investment that's just going to it's going to liven up that whole sector of
0: town that's right and worcester where you can see worcester's growing and then we add the ballpark and it just like makes it like a hockey yeah. stick you know what i mean it just yeah. is something that's really special and i think that these things uh, I think you're right is what's really it used to be a two-pronged approach yeah. right It was one then two with pri- public-private now I I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's really a three-pronged approach with uh, a developer uh, being included in that project and, and what we're
1: finding is is that you know it doesn't have to be three individuals but it has to be you know three or four components to this team that's yeah. gonna finance it you know some of our owners are actually venturing into the development business as a result of what's going on here, whether it's, you know, apartments in the outfield to a, a tight f- footprint, uh, you know, it, it's just the, the footprint and the imagination and the resources are going to be the limit, but it has opened us up to uh, a whole new source of, of uh, funding and a whole new source of community engagement that heretofore we've not had. You know, there are going to be people who go to the shopping center and restaurants who may not be a baseball fan who are going to see this beautiful stadium and out of curiosity going to go in and see it.
0: That's right. I was uh, talking with Larry Lucchino, who's our chairman, and uh, he was uh, a part of the building of the uh, Petco Park in San Diego. They said they were expecting like $500 million in development, which is a big number. They said they've experienced $5 billion. Well,
1: Larry's done many parts. Go back to Camden Yards. Uh, He had some involvement in... in, uh, the new ballpark in Pittsburgh, of course he did Petco. Uh, Larry is a master at putting these plans together. And I, I, I negotiated two PBAs with Larry. Yeah, when was, <laughs> that's when right. He, was, he said he was on the committee. When he was on the committee, uh, consider him a good friend. And he is a, a phenomenal baseball guy. And the, the man, you know, he did Jet Blue down there for yeah. Fort Myers. And, and he knows how to put a ballpark together uh, with uniqueness and distinction and more than anything,
0: sustainability. Sure does. So you also talked a little bit about... The game, the game itself, has changed a lot, and minor league baseball has been, you know, with our pitch clocks that we have, Mm -hmm. the uh, uh, the guy on second base in extra innings. What do you think of these time-saving, time management uh, pieces of baseball? You know, they're talking about robot umpires and all kinds of crazy stuff. Where do you fall on this? I think
1: there's a limit, and and I have come along. Uh, The first time they. brought me the runner on second base and extra innings, yeah. you know, once my hair went out, it caught on fire. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I shook my head. Uh, then I had two conversations on that particular experimental role. And I'll go back to the experimental aspect of it. One was with Joe Torrey and I was with Joe doing something else and it came up and, and he said, Pat, in the big leagues, if you go 14, 15 innings, you have wrecked your bullpen, not only for today, but tomorrow. And the next day, yeah. if you've used pitchers for 14, 15 innings. Every hitter is trying to end it in one swing. The baseball is not any good. And, you know, your week is – your next week is going to be a challenge. So I got it from a player development standpoint. And if you think about in our end of the business, Rob, you know, if you use all of your bullpen and you don't have any pitching for tomorrow and the next day, you got to go double it and bring somebody else. right. And he may be a young man who just sits out there in case – it's disruptive to his program, and it's expensive. You got to fly him in, fly him out. You got all of these issues. Then I had a conversation who was with my then current board, then board chairman, uh, Sam Burnaby, mm-hmm. and I said, "What do you think of it?" He goes, "I love it." I said, yeah, "You know, are you serious? Why? Look, I quit selling beer in the seventh inning. Okay, when I start a game with five thousand and I end with five hundred, it's clear to me the fans don't appreciate the extra baseball." And the only thing that keeps running when we play that many innings and play those extra innings is the light bill and the labor bill. I'm paying for people. Sam's right. Okay? So when you look at that, there was no good business case to play those. Now, the the, traditionalists, the very traditional baseball, it's not what we do. Um, but minor league baseball has earned its stripes doing what we usually don't do yeah. in the stands and on the field. So we've trotted it out there. And you would have thought I was, uh, you know, Simon Legree, Yeah, the emails and the texts that I got the first couple of weeks. Uh, just like with the, uh, uh, just like with the uh, pitch clocks, yeah. I think it's all faded to black now. I think people are staying for the 10th inning. Let's see what happens. Uh, I think we're. I know for a fact, based on statistics, we're ending games in the 10th and 11th inning. We're not doing so. We're accomplishing the player development aspect that we had hoped to, and we're accomplishing the business case aspect that we had hoped to. Uh, so you know that was one. The, the pitch clocks. <clears throat> I promise you, Rob. There's no pitcher pitching in minor league baseball who is rushed as a result of the pitch clock.
0: Yeah. Okay. You're. You're. It, you're, it, it, it I is. Feel a, I agree. It with is you.
1: a reminder about pace. There are so many exceptions that you're not forced to pitch when you don't want to. Um, You're not rushed. Uh, You get more more time with a man on base. Picking off players is not prohibited. All of those things. It's not to necessarily shorten the game time. It's not to make the game like frisbee golf. It's not to hurry. (laughs) Yeah. It's about pace. It's to fill the dead spots in the game because we're dealing with an audience now. (coughs) Excuse me. We're dealing with an audience now whose attention span is much shorter. You know, and they're going to stay by the time on their watch, not the innings on the scoreboard. So we want to fill as much action as we can. It's a microwave society, okay? Yeah. They, they want things quickly. You want your popcorn in 2 minutes and 35 seconds, <laughs> not 8 or 10 minutes on the stove. You know, and I had someone tell me that millennials' attention span is somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 to 10 seconds. Holy and cow. they want to move on to something else. You know, so everything today is handheld. It's yeah, a PED it's instant now so we have an obligation one you know to to make the game uh, attractive but to maintain our relevance and I I tell people all the time in my opinion there's nothing more damning to our game it can be a bad team it can be a bad promotion it can be bad weather we will survive those eventually if we lose our relevance in our community if we are not the thing to do and if we are not at the forefront of their thought, when they spend discretionary time and money, we're dead in the
0: water. I thoroughly agree, especially the relevance in the community. So what do you think? Is, they've done the guy on second base. They've done the pitch clock. What do you think is next?
1: Well, I mean, in the lower levels, we're, we're experimenting with a wider base, a flatter and wider base that has a different texture. Okay. Uh, the elevated base that has used to be canvas, but now it's a some kind of synthetic, yeah. uh, people slipping on that. Uh, too high up, not wide enough, so we can avoid the collisions. Uh, those are things that we're doing at the um, uh, at the complex league level. You know, I, I think there's we've we've tweaked a uh, number of mound visits. Yeah, you know, we reduced those over time. I think that at 15 and 20 on the on the pitch clock, we're probably where we need to be. So you know, um, I, I don't know that there is a, a whole lot left. We have annual meetings with the commissioner's office when they propose things for us to try. Um, and uh, some we do, and uh, most of them we do, and some we, uh, uh, we, don't, we don't think are good for our people. And they ultimately have not forced the issue with us.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the business of uh, minor league baseball mm-hmm. and what you guys have been doing. The COPA initiative mm-hmm. uh, over the past two or three years has just been a, a, a booming success. Uh, which was something that came from uh, St. Pete and, and your team there. Talk a little bit about where that came from, uh, uh, what, the, what the next steps are, what the goals are, and, uh, and your feelings about the COPA initiative.
1: Well, the COPA is just a part of a larger, uh, more expansive diversity and inclusion uh, platform. Uh, we have a diversity and inclusion platform that's morphed into a department and a director, uh, and it's a, it's a proactive initiative. To just be that, to diversify our ball clubs uh, more in the front office uh, and to include as much of the community as we can. Uh, I'm a firm believer that, that um, when a ball club looks at the community, it should be looking in a mirror, and the community should be looking in that same mirror when it looks at the ball club. In other words, if you're going to be successful in a community, you should look, act, feel, have the same makeup as that community to penetrate the highest level of that community, that go as deep as you can possibly go. Um, it's no secret. Uh, African Americans, uh, Latino, uh, Pacific Rim have not been uh, coming to our ballparks in droves. Uh, we've been predominantly a, a white, middle-class sport. Our communities are less and less white, middle-class than they've ever been. Um, not only is there a change in the demographic makeup where you know there are more Latinos more Hispanics uh, more Asian Pacific Rim more African-Americans involved in our community proper but it's coming with capital these people are affluent like
0: billions and billions of
1: dollars so think of it this way we have 42 clubs of our 160 42 teams who operate in markets today where fifty percent or more of the population is non-white today. Fifty percent or more. Fifty percent or more is non-white today. Uh, by 2050, the government will tell us, and this is not a social statement, statistical fact, there will be more people of color in this country than white. So if we as an industry don't reflect that change and move towards that change, we're going to be trying to service a community that doesn't look like us,
0: doesn't talk like us, doesn't act like us. You're going to go back to your other point that you become irrelevant. You become irrelevant. And that's the last thing that we can do. And think
1: of it from a business standpoint. If if 60% of your market uh, is white, 40% is non-white, and you are only penetrating with any depth or consistency that 60%, you're operating inefficiently. You've got 40% of your market that you're not dealing with. And if you think about your car, Uh, I'm old enough that I talk about eight-cylinder cars. (laughs) When I talk to young people today, I have to talk about six-cylinder cars. If you have a six-cylinder car and it drops a cylinder and you're only operating at five out of six, you're operating at 84% capacity, pretty soon that's going to get very inefficient. You're going to start using more gas. Eventually that car is going to die on the side of the road. The same thing is going to happen to a ball club. You're going to operate inefficiently because you're not maximizing your revenues because you're only penetrating a certain part of the market. Your external forces, the thing you talked about earlier, those mm-hmm. prices are going to keep going up. You're right. And if you do that, eventually you will, you will be very inefficient, and pretty soon your club's going to dry up and die.
0: The I, I thought the COPA initiative, and just to better explain it, the COPA initiative is a way that minor league baseball is authentically reaching out. We're changing our brand's uh, we are having different marketing ones you know i remember latino was like let's do dollar coronas on thursday and it was like the most disrespectful unintentionally disrespectful yeah. Yeah. Lack of uh, way lack, uh, of lack of information lack of uh, intelligence not the bad way but just lack of yeah. information and now it feels way more authentic in Pawtucket, we change our name to osos polares de patucket and it's a lot of fun when visiting teams come in we change our names we have a Excuse me, a different marketing strategy yeah. that we go out to. Yeah. We work with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce to start integrating. We have these guys that bring in trumpets and uh, yeah. tambourines, and they come into the ballpark. Yeah. And when you see highlights of, like, Dominican League games uh, on TV when they're all going crazy, like, we have a, san- a, a, a sanction of fans that do the same thing. And well, it's-
1: if you're a baseball fan and you truly want to see an appreciation for the game at the grassroots community level, you've got to go to a Dominican summer league, a Dominican winter league game, any winter league game, Mexican game. Yeah, it, it is. It is quite the carnival. It's a, it's a party. It's a carnival, and and you know one of the things about Copa that I'm I'm you know so proud of it, it was an organic program. It's it spawned out of our desire to reach the Latino community in an authentic and real way, and that was the genesis of how can we reach out to and i'm i'm with you Uh, heritage nights are fine yeah Uh, i think they're they lack authenticity Uh, many years ago i was in Gwinnett when north johnson ran the ball club and he had four uh, focus groups he had um, caucasian african-american hispanic and asian and i met with each one of them he had them all out to the park one night Mm -hmm. in different suites and you know when i visited with the latino group you know they said pat you know, Taco Bell at the ballpark is that's that that doesn't cut it. You yeah. know, so you have to be authentic. You have to be transparent. And I think what the clubs who have done especially well, uh, and Copa has experienced year over year double digit increases in attendance, in ticket sales, in merchandise, and in, in every aspect. Uh, most importantly, in attendance, because we are now sampling these people in a way. Uh, that they feel comfortable, uh, but the the fact that as you did in Pawtucket, and as most of the 72 clubs who participate, you went to your chamber, you went to your Hispanic chamber, right. you went to that sector of the community, and help us build this out for you. Now, if I can, if you and and we can uh, get them coming to the ballpark anywhere from three to five times a year, and they have a good time, they'll come back the other six more of the other 65 games. Than they likely would have otherwise and that's the inclusion aspect you know we are there for everybody um, and when you think about it in, in very simple terms rob uh, african-american hispanic pacific rim all have natural ties to the game of baseball unbelievable how many what's the percentage now 40 some percent or yeah, uh probably in the minors. Uh, probably in excess of 33 it's probably 40 percent yeah but just if you look in their country at their native land the history You know, uh, the Dominican, Mexico, you know, uh, World War II, and and the communist uh, uh, fighting off the communist spread baseball throughout South America.
0: No kidding. Yeah, We
1: we have a letter in our office from Dwight D. Eisenhower when he was president to the president of Minor League Baseball, congratulating them on Minor League Baseball's baseball's efforts in South America to combat communism. No yeah, kidding. It's really cool.
0: That is something you know? I had no idea yeah. about. It. Oh you next know. time I'm in St. Pete and, I gotta and, see that and, letter.
1: You know, in, in in the Asian Pacific rim, you know, having servicemen there in the war, that's but, what um, really started and and, and drove that. Uh, so, and, and you know, you don't have to explain to anybody the passion, especially in the Dominican, but down through the Caribbean, about uh, baseball. I mean, it's second nature, it's DNA.
0: It's just you know, it's part of, yeah, you're you right, know. it's just part of their you know, so, culture.
1: So, when you think about when they relocate to the United States, we don't have to explain the game to them. We have to explain to them and, and figure out, we've got to crack the code on why they're not communing with us because they commune, yeah. they get together. They like to get together for reasons. They like to get together with their people. you know. And when I go to a game, and, and it gets better every time I, I try to look at this, I like to, you know, I, I get to a game a couple hours early. I see the umpires. I see both managers. I do some media. I spend some time with owners. some point in the night, I want to walk the ballpark. Yeah, I want it because it will help me validate what we talked earlier about, mm-hmm. the lessons that you learn. You know, it validates what we're trying to do Pete, in St. Pete and what we're trying to do to help. Uh, but you can see grandmother, grandfather, mom, dad, and kids in the stands. Sometimes the same family unit and the same stretch of bleachers. That's pretty don't, cool. Don't tell me that's not good for a city oh, or it's, a country. It's, a, it's okay. a great point. And so, you know, that's not exclusive to any one demographic sector. Mm-hmm. You know, they all, everybody likes to get together with those that are like them and enjoy things together. And our ballpark is, you know, I, I mean, I tell people all the time we have the best block parties in town, and oh by the way, we're going to play a, baseball <laughs> by game. a little
0: baseball game. It's one of the things that I think the Cope Initiative highlighted too, under your leadership too, is the embracing of creativity, right? Mm-hmm. So, look at what uh, really, you know, I I think the Iron Pigs were one of the examples. Uh, you know, now we've got the Rocket City Trash Pandas, <laughs> and the creativity yeah. that's being built in in minor league baseball not to mention all the different food items. I mean, we were the Pawtucket Hot Wieners uh, a, a year ago and the Fighting Quahogs this past year. What are your thoughts on those uh, creative natures? How, how do you kind of fit into that, and what, you, what do you think?
1: Well, like any good CEO, I know when I'm overmatched. And, <laughs> and I, I, God bless me with an awful lot, and creativity wasn't necessarily one of them. Um, you know, there was a time, Rob, when all of those names crossed my desk. You know, yeah. back to uh, Lansing Lugnuts and, and uh, Montgomery
0: Biscuits, yeah,
1: Sand Nats, and, and all of this stuff. And, and I, you know, I had my opinions, but as long as it was not offensive
0: yeah.
1: or politically charged, it's your mark. You know, as long as if it clears trademark and it's not going, you're not going to get sued. <laughs> knock yourself out. And, and inevitably, uh, names that to myself or to my closest people in the office, I would just abhor, showed up on the top twenty-five. <laughs> so I learned <laughs> just to keep my opinions to myself. Um, the, the interesting thing is is that each one of those, you know, I did not know what a trans, trash panda was until they told me. It's a raccoon. Yeah. I didn't know what a sod poodle was until they told me, and it's a prairie dog or whatever. Uh, but each one of those has a story that is intrinsically tied to that community.
0: Talk about uh, being relevant in the community.
1: Binghamton rumble ponies. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what a rumble po- Okay, it's the pony on America merry Yeah. round At one time, if not now, Binghamton was the capital for making rumble ponies in the country or the world. It's relevant. You know, the, the baby cakes. I thought, now you're going to put grown men, professional athletes, in a uniform and put baby cakes across the front. Well, in New Orleans, the the king cake around festivals, and the prize inside is called a baby cake. People from New Orleans know all about it.
0: You know, it's and, just right up their alley. They, and, you know, I and mean, they were one of the best. There's exactly. rocket Jum- ship Jumbo they're... shrimp.
1: What? What? In the, I mean, you talk about an oxymoron. <laughs> Jumbo shrimp, off the charts.
0: Off the charts. Trash
1: <laughs> pandas led minor league baseball for most of the summer. They haven't played a game yet. It's
0: incredible, you know, It's incredible. So,
1: I, I you know, look, I, I, as long as you're not offensive, you know, you can't legislate morality and common sense. Okay, if you'll follow those, and and you know, we're and, and look, you, no one intentionally does it, uh, yeah. but if you conduct yourself on a daily basis with very simple tenets, respect the game, respect those around you, and and you'll do fine, you know. Um, there is an envelope, and we have passed it and crossed it, and we've gone over the line of you know, letting our, our creativity and zest for, and zeal for fun or the greatest next thing go a little too far, yeah. and we, we pull ourselves back. And then people are going to make mistakes. But you know, I, I think the creativity is great. It's an earmark. In our office, we have what we call the hat wall. It's got 160 hats, yeah. one for each team in alphabetical order. And I don't know of anything else that we could put in there that would draw more attention from visitors, have more photos taken in front of it. Uh, it and, and it is uh, a tribute to the creativity that's
0: minor league baseball. Well, part of the thing I love about minor league baseball is the, is the creativity. All right, last question. Yeah. You went from intern to president of minor league baseball, potentially seeking a fourth term. Yes and what advice do you have for uh college age kids that are listening right now to go from intern to president of minor league baseball
1: well i I, I, I say this all the time when i was a when i was a little guy um i didn't sit around dreaming about being president of minor league baseball (laughs) you know i was i was hitting the home run the bottom of the ninth and the seventh game of the world series um i you know i think that that there, there are a couple of things, and, and my staff knows them as O'Connorisms. O'Connorisms. Give you me know. an O'Connorism. Well, you know, I, I mean, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> you should listen twice as much. Listen to those around you. Uh, find people that are successful and emulate them. Don't copy them. Emulate them. Uh, we're all like snowflakes. We're slightly different. So don't, don't get hung up on the, the specifics. I think, you know, when I was a little boy, you know, Grandma Melvin used to tell me, "You know, my name's James Patrick. You know, Jimmy Pat, you say those bad words, I'm going to wash your mouth out, my mouth out with soap. I can give young people two four-letter words that they can say every day, and that's hard work. Huh. Don't be afraid to work hard. Um, keep your nose clean. Uh, respect those around you. Respect what you're doing. Uh, don't sit down at breakfast and start thinking about lunch.
0: That's a, that's a great one. Kind of stay in the moment, stay, right?
1: Stay right here where we're at don't chase the money. Money is you know, dirty paper with dead president's pictures on it. The more you get, the more you spend. Think about where you're at today. I, I'm a true believer that you don't find your passion, your passion finds you. And if you commit to what you're doing, you will know if it's for you or not. Don't move for the sake of a move. Move to better yourself. Move to uh, better yourself and, and, and what's your future going to be. Um, there is There is a uh, a saying that I like to use, do you have one year of experience 12 times or do you have 12 years of experience? And it's very important that if you're in a job, you've been in AAA for 12 years. Yep. I expect you to have 12 layers of knowledge right? and not one layer repeated 12 right. times. You have to grow and you have to surround yourself with people who have been successful. Always remember anybody who tells you uh, that they got where they are by themselves not only are they lying to you, they're lying to themselves. So pay forward, pay back, develop a network, be respectful to those in your network, work your ass off, and good things will happen.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. The uh, You should write a book of these O'Connorisms <laughs> that we can all go through and most distribute of them, them at the Business most, of Baseball Seminars and most,
1: most of them are stolen, but, uh, you know, it's just part of, you know, the process um, – You know, I think that more than anything, you know, respect yourself, respect those around you, respect this game. You know, and and I tell people all the time, in particular in our business, uh, working in baseball is a privilege. It's not a right. Amen. It's not a right, you know, and you have to respect that privilege. Uh, We talked about change in baseball. You know, there are some things that we do um, that may not make a lot of sense, but they're done for a reason. We can always evaluate that reason, but you have to respect the institution. Commissioner Selig told us over and over and over, baseball is an institution. We're just stewards, and we should hold ourselves to a higher standard, and I believe that.
0: I believe that, too. I just finished his uh, book uh, over yeah. the summer. It was a yeah, great yeah. read. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember meeting you for the first time. I met you in an elevator at some winter meetings or a AAA championship game or something, and I said, Mr. O'Connor, my name is Rob. It's nice to meet you. And he goes, my name's just Pat. So, yeah. Pat, I can't thank you enough for joining Front right. Office Features, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's so been my you.
1: pleasure. Good luck with it, and uh, good luck to all those listening.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks.